Amen. Psalms 107. I want to talk to you this morning and for the next few weeks about a series I'm going to title, And They Cried to the Lord. And They Cried to the Lord. Simply looking at all the different, several of different places where the people of God cried to the Lord and He answered their prayer. We're talking about desperate prayers. And this morning, I want to talk to you about being in desert places and crying to the Lord. Uh, As a young parent, uh, I have two young girls, a five-year-old and an almost two-year-old, a five going on 30, and, you know, two, she's okay right now. But as a parent, I've learned uh, to know the difference in my kids' cries. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know the difference in your kids' cries. And so I know if Addie, my two-year-old, cries, you can kind of tell, well, is she, you know, upset that she didn't get the juice or the chicken nuggets that she wants or whatever right now? Because sometimes it needs to be right now. I can't even wait for the microwave. I want my chicken nugget right now. Right? There's that cry. There's the cry that my sister just took my toy away from me or hit me with it. There's that cry. And then there's the cry that, okay, I'm actually hurt and I, and I want somebody to come pick me up. Right? And as a parent, you know the difference, right? Uh, and if I'm honest, and I'm sure you're the same way, is that sometimes you let them cry until they're really serious about it, right? Because if you try to go fix every cry, man, they'd never learn anything, and they don't always need you, and they can get over that cry sometimes. But there are some cries that's like, oh, stop what you're doing. We need to go deal with that right now. What's going on in that back room? Somebody's hurt, or somebody's... Or you let them cry, and they cry, and then finally you're like, okay, they're really serious. I'm going to go tend to it. You know, sometimes I think that's how it is with me and God. There's a lot of times I'm kind of whiny and I want something and he doesn't really always listen to me. But when I get really, really desperate for God, the Bible is very clear. He always answers like a good father. When we're really desperate for God, and I think we can all relate to being desperate Uh, in our life, whether it be through loss or sickness, maybe it's been a family issue, maybe it's been an addiction uh, or issue in your life, or maybe you've lost a job and you need provision, or sometimes maybe you're just trying to get through this week, and you're just crying out to God, Lord, I am on fumes, I'm barely getting through. I remember a point in my life uh, early on in ministry where I was so overwhelmed with running a church and a young adult ministry and a new uh, husband, a new dad, that someone asked me, hey, how are you, how's it going? And I just about broke down in tears because it was just an overwhelming week. And how many people know what I'm talking about? That there are sometimes you just, I'm barely just making it today. Uh, and we're desperate. Maybe life has taken you today on a detour and you don't know where in the world you are and how you're going to get back on track to where you were supposed to be. Life's thrown you some curveballs and it seems like there's no end to this detour. Maybe today you're empty of reserves, you're exhausted, and you're just lucky to be here. Uh, And we may be all at different levels of desperation. And the bad thing about that place is that we're crying out for something. And we could be crying out for, for anyone or anything to help us. We might feel like, man, if I could just get some peace right now, or if I could just get some more money in my bank account, if I could just get this person to help me, if my job, my boss would just lay off of me, I'm crying out for anything. And I love what... Uh, James Dobson said uh, in an article I read, he said, if you don't cry out to God, you will cry out to something else. If you don't cry out to God, you will cry out to something else. And desperation has to be 
bringing us all to this same place. We all need God. Desperation and prayer brings us all to the same place, is that I don't care what level of desperation you are, what kind of cry you're having before God right now, if we wait long enough, desperation will bring us all to the same place, is that I need Jesus. doesn't matter what your issue is. If we could just all get desperate enough, God, I need you. But here's the problem. Are we desperate for more of this life or for God? Is our cry for Him really serious? And I look at the word desperate. What does it mean to be desperate? It actually means to be without hope or to be despairing or deprived of hope. It means I've come to an impossible situation and there is no way I can fix it. There's nothing I can do to solve this situation. And you come to a point of desperation. In the Bible, when the Bible says that Israel would cry out to the Lord, and in that moment, what that really means is they got really desperate for God. They got everything out of the way that says, I need His mercy. And one author says, this is the point where true prayer begins. Not, Lord, give me more money. Lord, help my boss. Lord, whatever. But, Lord, I need you. That's where prayer begins. And I love what Psalms 18 says this. It says, In my distress I called out to the Lord, and in my cry unto God, He heard my voice out of His temple. And my cry, not anybody else's cry, my cry came before Him even to His ears. What are you hoping in today? Remember, despair means the absence of hope. What are you hoping in? What is the cry that you have? Is it for a better job? Is it for a better house? A better relationship? Maybe a better life? Or is it what Paul says in uh, 2 Thessalonians? He says, is it our cry that the Lord Jesus Christ, is it for Him who loves you and gives you eternal hope and comfort by His grace? And I want you to repeat after me something. And you say, I... Desperately desire to depend on God. I desperately desire to depend on God. I want that to be our anthem by the end of this series that we could all say, I am desperately desiring to depend on God. I desperately desire. Maybe I'm not there yet, but I am desperately trying to cry out and get to the place where it is only God that I need. Like my little daughter, keep on crying until Daddy comes. That's this, that it's not the things, but it's Him. So look with me in Psalms 107. Over the next several weeks, we're going to break this down. There are four cries in Psalms 107. We're going to add a, a fifth one to our, the last uh, part of our series. Uh, but for the next five or six weeks, we're going to go through this. Psalms 107, verse 4 I'm reading in the New American Standard. We're talking about desert places. And this is the first cry of Psalm 107. It says this, And they wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty, but their soul fainted within them. Note that. They were hungry and thirsty in the physical, but their soul fainted within them. They cried out, to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distress. He led them also by a straight way. Everybody say straight way. He led them by a straight way to go into an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the Son of Man, for He has 
satisfied that thirsty soul. And the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. The first thing I want to talk to you a little bit about that passage is that they went out wondering, right? They were wondering. They didn't know where in the world they were. Israel had followed God out of slavery of Egypt, and they had, he had taken them across the, the Jordan River. He had parted the sea, and he had been to provide for them, and they were going into the presence of God, into a place they'd never been before, walking by faith, following His Spirit. Uh, but what happened along the way is that because they were strong-willed and disobedient, they began to wander 40 years in the wilderness. They wanted to go their own way, and instead of quickly entering into the promised land, and it was only just a few miles away, for 40 years they began wandering and walking basically in circles instead of just going straight into the place that God had promised them and prepared for them. And I think about it this way, it says, uh, one author says it this way, it says, God was with them, but at times they were just as lost as the pagans as the heathens. Can you imagine? How is it that you can be with God, around people who have God, be around the presence of God, but you know you can still be lost? You can see all the signs and wonders. You can be in the atmosphere of a good church. You can hear good preaching. You can hear good worship. You can be, have a, a faith-filled grandma. You can have a husband or wife who loves the Lord, but you can still be just as lost as the lost person. As a lost, lost person can be, you can still be lost. They lived for the flesh and neglected the spirit. God was for them, but they were for themselves. In a sense, it's this way. They are, their hope was not in God leading them to that place. Their hope was in their own ability. And if I'm really honest, this is the status of a religious person. A person that knows all the right answers, has seen all the right stuff, knows how everything works, they know church, they know good preaching, they know good sermon, but they're still lost. They don't have the presence of God. They're not following by faith and humble dependency on God. And in fact, if you follow self-centered religion, you know where it's going to lead you? Back to self. Not to where God has for you, not to the promises He's promised you, not to His everlasting loving presence, but self-centered religion is going to keep leading you in circles, and it's always going to lead you back to self. It's going to be about me. I pray those prayers for me. I go to church for me. I give in the offering for me. And we can lie to ourselves and say it's for God, and we can do it with the the verbal, uh, audible talking that it is for God. But in a sense, it's really, if our hearts are honest, we're living for ourselves. So they were wandering. And that's where selfish, selfless, or selfish religion will lead you, is wandering. Then the next day, where were they wandering at? Is they're wandering, look at that, that. He says, they wandered in the wilderness, in a desert region. Living for themselves led them to an empty place. Living for yourself always leads you to an empty place. Look at, on, right now there's a very popular artist who, uh, has everything going for them, but they find themselves repeatedly in alcohol and drugs in a mental institution and out and in. And I'm like, you have the, a great career, you have kids, you have all this money, you have fame and fortune, you have a show uh, that everybody goes to that you're making tons of money, but yet you're still not happy. That living for yourself always leads to emptiness. It leads to a place that's a wilderness, a desert place where there's no food or water. And it says that they were hungry 
in the natural. They were thirsty in the natural. But look at that. But their soul fainted. There's a connection between your physical position in life and your spiritual condition in life. That they were getting to a place, man, I just can't do life anymore. That, that my job doesn't make me feel good. My spouse doesn't make me feel good. The money I have and I love my kids, but it's just there's something not there. They're troubled on the inside and they realize, man, this, this is not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing and it, that God has led them to this place and their life has led them to this place that their soul fainted. It wasn't just a physical issue, but a spiritual. You know, sometimes in our life, even for the religious person in us, go through all the motions, go through all the seasons. We can put on the smile. We can, we can be on a worship team. We can be on the platform. We can be a door greeter, an usher. We can come every week, be a part of our kids' program. And still on the inside, you know, I'm not living in the fullness of what God really has for me. As a young person, I remember leaving the church. I grew up in a church. I grew up, my parents were great Christians, and I had great pastors, but I, uh, that religious thing kind of came into my life. And I remember when I finally found and touched the tangible presence of God, and God began to speak, and I felt this fire burning inside of me. I, I look back, and I'm like, where was this my whole life? There's, there was something more that I didn't even realize was supposed to be there, that it was that there's more to this Christian life than just songs and obedience and rules and all the don'ts, but there's this, this tangible relationship with the presence of God that lives on the inside and bubbles uh, from without. And they're in this place in their life, and let's be honest, some of us are in the wilderness with them. What's your spiritual condition? Do you feel unfulfilled or lacking? Is church just a good sense of rules and do's and don'ts? And, I, and some of us probably could say, just like them, I've been in the wilderness for 40 years, and I'm still not hungry yet. 18 years of my life come and gone in a church, and I did not realize until 18 years old what it really felt like to be a real Christian. Grew up in church, I believed I was saved. I went down and I raised my hand and I went to the church. I never, I didn't cuss and drink and I gave that stuff up and I read my Bible. I even invited people to come to church. But until 18 years old, when something became alive on the inside and I touched what the promise of God was for me, that I would be born again, made alive in Christ. I felt the, the power of the Holy Spirit come over me. And there was this newness, this excitement, this fire, this flame on the inside, something that God had been promising uh, me for years. And do you sense today there is something more than what you have? Maybe you had it before. But there's something more that we're in a wilderness and their destination was supposed to be, it says, he was going to lead them to an inhabited city. They were on the way. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. That city was their promised land. It would be the nation of Israel. It would be a place where God and His Spirit would have a holy habitation. He would permanently dwell among them. He would be protecting them and providing for them. It would be a land, the Bible says, flowing with milk and honey. Uh, which does not mean literally. It means that this is a great land where their crops always bloom and fruit and nuts and vegetables are always provided and people have a good uh, lineage of children and man, they just their life is blessed. They're just overwhelmed by the blessing of God. God was leading them to His promise, to His blessing. It says, but they could not get there. You know, they saw it one time as they come out of the wilderness. They just made it a few days in and uh, God says, hey, 
go look. Go take a look at this place I'm going. They go and they see it. Man, they see the fruit, and it says the grapes had to be carried by two people on a pole, and this big old cluster of grapes that two little, and those are short, stocky little guys, and they're carrying these grapes, and man, it's just overwhelming what they see. They saw giants, they saw strong men, difficult things they would have to go through to get to the promise of God, and they knew they could not get there on their own. The things that God has for you today, you cannot achieve them on your own. You want true love and joy and peace and patience and fullness and, and zeal inside of you, you can't get it. By going to church. You can't give it by having a good pastor or a good worship team. Do you know this? You can't get it by reading your Bible more. You can't get it by praying more. If that's the case, the Pharisees would have found it. You can't get it by giving more. But you can get it by surrendering and saying, God, there's a promise you have for me. And I get a glimpse of it, but it's too far, too far away, too difficult for this little old sinful me to receive it. I need you. They did not realize it then, but this city was supposed to be more than a location. It says, I was taking them to a city. You know what that city is? That city is God Himself. It wasn't about a location. You see, your relationship with God is not about you getting more money and healing. Oh, that's good. God, work out your finances. God, heal your marriage. God, heal your body. God, provide for you new jobs. That might be part of it, but that's not the destination. You see, Israel was so focused on the natural and the physical. What can God do for me right now? God, I'm crying out to you like these little kids. So-and-so took my toy. Life has hurt me. Things are not so good for me right now. I want my chicken nugget right now. And that's how we are. I, I need you, Lord. Please answer my prayer. And you know what he's doing? He's saying, you're not desperate enough yet. You don't know what you really Need And if I would always come and answer you for every little thing, I don't think you would learn what I really want you to know is that what you really need is me. What you really need is me. And he says, I'm not taking you just to some city. I'm taking you to myself. I'm taking you to the place where I am. You know, the Bible says for you and for I as new believers, as Christians, as uh, the people of the new covenant, it says that there is a new Jerusalem coming down on that day, that final day. And you know that new Jerusalem is not a location. It's a person. It's the person, the presence of Jesus Christ. It's not about going to a place with streets of gold and a place where there's no more sickness. That's all great. But the biggest part of falling in love and going on a relationship with God is that you get to be where God is. He's the destination. And they missed it. They cried. They were in trouble. I was trying to take them there. But they couldn't make it on their own. They did not know the way. They kept going in circles. You know, sometimes people come to church over and over and over again, and they go into those addictions. They get back on their old things. They keep going in circles for years. You know why? Because they're trying to get to a destination on their own. Instead of saying, I don't know the way. I love our 12-step program at CR. But you know, CR is not about the 12 steps. Every step is about finding Jesus. It's not about going through these motions because they did not know. It says, I had to take them to a straight way. He led them by a straight way. What is that straight way? You know, a straight way is a way that leads to somewhere. It's a purposeful journey. It's about the destination. 
And they were going in circles. But it says God led them by a straight way, a path that leads to somewhere. They couldn't find their way because the only way to that city was God's way. The only way for us to have revival in LaSalle Parish, Louisiana, is going to be through God's way. It's not going to be because we're an awesome church and we do these great things or move our building to a high school and we have the best websites and programs and pastors and teachers and, and all this. stuff. It's not because we're going to do something good. That's part of it. That's being obedient to what God says. But it's not about us. It's being people who follow His way. The way you're going to get peace in your marriage and in your life, the way you're going to overcome addiction, the way you're going to find true longing and belonging in your life is that you say, God, not my way, but your way. Where are you going spiritually? What's your destination? You know, we can go through life, and it could just be getting from week to week. And what I've discovered in, in my life is if I don't continually get to a place where I shrug off the normalcy, and I shrug off my little petty cries and my petty prayers, I just get on my face and on my knees. It's, gotta be, it's not something I can live in every day, but a regular rhythm of saying, God, I've kind of been doing this Christianity thing on my own. I'm a professional Christian. I'm good at being a Christian. I know how to be a, a good Christian. I know good worship songs. I know what it means. I know the verses. I know it all. Sometimes that's the problem. It's getting to a point and say, God, I can't do this life without you. You're the way. What did Jesus say? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way you're going to get to the Father, that promise, that city, that destination, is through Him. You're never going to find the promises God has for you unless you come back to doing it His way. And finally, they get to this place, and they cry out. It says their cry came to him, and it wasn't because they just became hungry and thirsty. They got to a place. I love that. It says they wandered. They were hungry and thirsty. That's the physical. But then their soul fainted. There comes a point where you say, God, I don't just need you to touch my finances. God, I don't just need you to heal my body. God, I just need you. And maybe we're not crying loud enough. Maybe we're crying about the wrong things. Maybe the reason we're not having revival in our lives and that the lost are not yet coming in and the droves around us, the reason we're not really living in the fullness of joy and zeal and power of the Holy Spirit that He has promised us is that we're just not desperate enough. We're not desperate and say, God, there are times, man, it, Addie will be crying, and she will not stop until you come in that room. You're just thinking, if I just give her a little bit longer, she'll get over it and go on. But there'll be moments you're just like, I have to go in there because it is killing my ears. That's a good compassionate father, right? Don't, God is a lot better than I am. But you know, the Bible says that Jesus said that about this woman who was going to an unrighteous judge, and he says... She kept knocking, even to this unrighteous judge. She would not leave him alone for pleading her case. And she kept bothering him and bothering him and bothering him. And so finally, even this unrighteous man had to give in and say, Sure, fine, whatever I can do to get you off my back. Here's the answer to your request. And if that's an unrighteous man and he'll do that, 
How much more will a good heavenly Father answer the cry of desperation from His church who's redeemed by the blood of His Son? And if we would cry out... You know, when they cried out to God, God did not disappoint. It says He delivered them out of their distress. He came in their trouble. He led them then by the straight way to the presence of God. And it says, let them give thanks because He is a God who is loving and kind. His wonders never cease. He satisfies the thirsty. He feeds the hungry soul with good things. God will not disappoint you. He never will. He doesn't disappoint. But do you want Him more than earthly things? Do you desperately want something more than this life or religion has to offer? Can you say, I desperately desire to depend on God? Let me give you three cries for us to take home and pray this week. In Exodus chapter 15, Moses finds themselves three days in the desert. They're this people right here. Three days they've come in, and they found no food and no water and no shelter, and they finally find water. Guess what? It's bitter. They just have those days, God, I can't catch a break. God, I just need a break. Where in the world are you? How many more things go wrong in my life? Why can't I just get something good? And he leads them to a place on purpose for desperate needs. And they get to a place and it's bitter water. They call it Mara or Mara, bitter. And they cry out. And it says they grumbled to Moses. And so Moses, the word says, cried out to God. He cried. He didn't just pray. He cried out to God. I think it was a desperate prayer. Lord, you promised to send us somewhere, that you promised the Holy Spirit to us. You promised goodness to us. God, you promised that you would provide our needs. Here we are in a place, God, I don't see the loss coming in. God, I don't see kids coming out of drugs and alcohol. God, I don't see marriages being restored. God, I'm in a desperate place. I, you promised that if we repent and turn from our ways and cry out to you, you would heal our land. God, you promised. When you get desperate enough to hold God to His promises, He has to answer. God is not a liar. He will answer His promises. So Moses cries out to God and says, And Moses looked, and God showed him a tree. Mm. He looked, and God showed him a tree. You know what I think that tree was? The cross. You see, there is one tree... They can make your life sweet. And as Moses got a revelation of that tree, he took that tree, cut it down, threw it in the water, and it made the water sweet. You want your life to be sweeter? You want the bitter things in your life to turn into things that are sweetness? You've got to cry out to God. Get a revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ that if God so loved the world to die for you, to save you from your sin, to give you the promise of the Holy Spirit that he might dwell inside of you, to take you to a place that is not like this world, a place where he dwells, where there is joy and righteousness and fullness of the Holy Spirit for eternity where his loving kindness never fails. There is a promise. He is going to take you there. And if we could just cry out to God and say, God, you promised to give us the fullness of your spirit 
And we're not stopping, Lord. And he's going to give you a revelation of that cross, and it can be applied to our life. And there are three things that we should be crying out to God. Number one is this. It's a cry of humility. And what that means is to say, I'm not Jesus. A cry of humility is to say, I'm not Jesus. It means I no longer can say I can solve my own problems. It means to admit. It's a hard thing sometimes to do that, to say, I need help. Man, for us, it's very hard to say, I need help. And to come to God and say, God, I don't know it all. And I love what Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. For the religious people in us, it's hard to say, I can go there and find a place and do something I don't know. I can get beyond the religious bubble and I can find a place in the spirit that I've never been before. I can see a service go like I've never seen a service go. I can see a prayer meeting. Maybe I've never been to a kind of prayer meeting like that or I've never been in a worship service. Because if we just come expecting what we know, we're never going to get the unexpectable things of God. We come just expecting a normal service. We come just expecting the same old, same old. But if we could come and say, God, you can take us to a place we've never been before. God, I've only got a glimpse of your glory. But he says, I'm going to take you by the straight way. If you just give up your way, follow my way, cry out to me in desperation, I'm going to take you to a place where there are unsearchable things, things you've never seen before, people who will come in droves. You've never seen it done before. Your life blessed in a way you've never seen it blessed before if you'll just cry out to me and say and realize you're not Jesus God I'm not Jesus it means I'm going to be led by God that he's the direct route to my fulfillment he delights in broken and repentant hearts like we could come to him as a little child and say God I don't have all the answers I don't know everything love what one author said this she said prayer is the beginning place of all doing We do a lot of things outside of prayer, but really, prayer is the beginning place of all doing, where in our helplessness, we realize that God is all we can hold on to. Prayer is the beginning place of doing. It's the cry of our heart. Say, God, I've tried it my way. I can't do it. And I realize, God, you're all I can hold on to. So number one, cry in humility. It means I'm not Jesus. Number two is this, cry in dependence. It is to say, I need Jesus. Deuteronomy 8.3 says that God humbled Israel, allowed them to hunger, so he could feed them with manna, which is heavenly spiritual food, so they might know that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He humbled them to hunger. Sometimes God puts us in places in our lives so that you will be desperate for what you really need. Sometimes I let my kid cry so they can really be serious about what they're asking for. He humbled them to their hunger and the physical so they could realize, God, what I really need in my life is not a physical fix. It's a spiritual fix. God, it's the spiritual solution. It's what I'm longing for, God, is not better life or a better job or a better marriage or more money or a better retirement or, or just peace in my life in the natural. What I'm really needing, God, is that you're the God who can walk on the stormy waters, that even in the midst of the storm, I can have peace. Sometimes we're asking for circumstantial things to be fixed, but what God wants to fix is not all of the things, it's us. 
And the second cry is a cry of dependence that says, what I really need in my life is Jesus. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And lastly is this. It's a cry in humility, it's a cry in dependence, and lastly, it's a cry of want that says, I know I'm not Jesus, I know I need Jesus, and a cry in want is saying, I want Jesus. We go beyond the idea in a religious setting to say, God is here to serve us, and I told our staff the other day, I really don't like the term worship service, because it makes me think worship serves us right? I'm coming to a worship service where worship is here to serve me, but it's really, I'm here to serve God. And the thing that I want most in my life is Jesus. And if I look at this passage, you guys throw that, throw that scripture back up there. If I look at that passage, and what you really need to realize is that they were in the wilderness, but it was the city that was God. It was the cry of their Lord. It was the, the straight way was God. That it was all Him from the very beginning to the end. What they really needed, that He was the food they wanted. He was the water they needed. He was the straight way and He was the city. And what we really need is not all this stuff at the front, but at the back. I really needed His loving kindness. I really needed His goodness. I really needed the satisfaction of the Holy Spirit in my life. And what we need in our church and our churches today is not better preaching and better worship and more giving. We don't need more marriage counseling. That's good. All that's good. We don't need more drug rehab programs. All those are good too. But what we really need is Jesus. He's the city. He's the food. He's the living water. And I think about that in John chapter 5. Jesus goes to a woman at the well. And he says, woman, I have water you know not of. It's living water. You're looking just in the natural. You know all the religious stuff. But what you really need is to thirst for something beyond. Are we hungry and thirsty for a move of God in our community, in our marriages, in our families, in our life? And are we desperately crying out, God, I am depending on on you. Where are you going on your journey? What's the way you're taking to get there? Do you think coming to sanctuary a bunch of times is going to get you there? Do you think enough of Pastor Heath's sermons or enough of good worship sessions is going to get you there? Or is it coming to a place where you get so desperate to cry out to God and say, God, I will not stop crying until you answer what you promised me, that you will fill me with your spirit that you will clothe me in your goodness. You're going to satisfy the hungry and the thirsty soul.